Wheel, Kipper, and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. We'll get you ready for the Toronto Maple Leafs, New Jersey tonight. Nick Kiprios, Justin Bourne, Derek Brandeo, Dave Sisboom Boss, Sammy McKee for the next two hours. A few line shuffles. Mm-hmm. Bingle bangle balls are out. <laughs> and a very daunting schedule ahead for the Maplers. Which starts in New Jersey, 19 games. If you want to touch on the schedule right off the bat, JB. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm not mistaken, maybe as many as 9 or 10 will come against non-playoff teams. But this particular stretch... Mm-hmm is will be considered their toughest of all the remaining games. Yeah. You know, I don't think of the Leafs as a fast team, uh, not a, you know, like a, they do a lot of skill things. They move the puck fast. They they play fast, but I don't think they're the fastest players. The next five teams coming up here are maybe the fastest in the league. You got the Devils, then the Oilers, then the Sabres, the Avalanche, and the Hurricanes. So it is going to be a pace fest out there and a great test for Toronto. And again, remaining after that are teams that uh, are on the outside looking in, including uh, the Detroits, the Columbuses, the Montreals, uh, Florida. But will we get a good idea of of maybe... Uh, the character of of these guys without the likes of Ryan O'Reilly in the lineup. And tonight, John Tavares sits out. I mean, what do you look for? This is a game where they will go in as underdogs tonight. Yeah. They massive on the betting scale. I shouldn't say massive, but they're clear underdogs, clear underdogs. And I don't think anybody really believes that they can go in there and, and, and beat this club, which by the way is what I do. How hot are the devils? Two and one. Yeah. So everything stacks up against him. So what do you want to see tonight? If it's if it's not just about wins yeah. and losses, what else do you want to see tonight? I think some of the the greatest success the Leafs have had over Keefe's tenure has been when they've randomly called up guys from the Marlies and they've got success out of them, whether it's Holmberg or Steves or McMahon or whatever. They've got guys to play above their proper slot and have success in small samples. And I want to see that the guys they traded for can be that too. I don't want it to just be that McMahon and Steves can do it. I want to see that Lafferty can go play with, you know, go play 18 minutes and matter. I want Achari to be able to play 16 minutes. 18 was a bit aggressive, but play a lot of minutes and, and make a difference. So I think it's a good showcase for the new guys who have had trouble working their way into a good lineup to say, hey, we can play too. Sammy, where's your bar for a game like uh, tonight? Tonight, uh, I would say my expectations are quite low going into it. I think this is a scheduled loss for the Leafs, in, in all honesty. You know, the, them coming east from a grueling four or three-game road trip with injuries and all this stuff, and then them having to go to the, the Devils before they come home. Wouldn't this usually be a home game? Like that first game back, like a couple oh, days yeah. after? No, like this, this is very is, unusual. It's very odd for them. and. How often do they go to the Devils twice in one year? It's just a very, very odd one for me. I'm expecting them to make... I think what I my dream scenario is to see Samsonov steal one for the Leafs tonight. Is for him to be 
really, really good, and him give them a huge chance to win and then win a tight one because Samsonov's really good and kind of get that goalie battle going, mm-hmm. you know? Like him him put it, put his nose in front and say, hey, I'm still the starter here, Matt. I know you played well on Saturday. And have him go in and respond and play well and have them steal one in New Jersey. That's my ideal scenario. I'm willing to start there as well. I think this is uh, this is a few, huge test for Samsonov. And like overall, we still believe in the grand scale of things. A good year for him. Mm-hmm. Put himself, oh, God, yeah. put himself in the position for at least the last nineteen games to say that the odds are favorable that you will start Game One in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm-hmm. But there is this one factor of his season that does not bold well when he starts on the road. He is right. not a five hundred goalie on the road. Mm-hmm. And to Sam's point, a good effort tonight, maybe even finds a way to steal it, as Sam is hopeful for, mm-hmm. would kind of curtail that he can't win on the road feel. He That's goes a great point. He goes down now two games under 500, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden this storyline swells. I read something yesterday about how the Leafs would like to see, I forget who wrote it, the Leafs would like to see Matt Murray get on track because he's who they expected to be their starter and they want to see him ready to go for game one of the playoffs. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about how much we've talked about Samsonov and I hadn't even really considered Murray to be a threat for game one. We have we have a clip of the coach talking about this kind of stuff. If you, uh... Yeah, yeah, I'll just add yeah, before you yeah, play it yep. that if, if the guy can't win on the road, he can't be your number one. He can't, he's not your guy. So you're right. I think it's important to go in and play well tonight. Okay. Let's go uh, follow that up with Sheldon Keefe's comments. Kipper's Clipper number one on his goalies. Obviously, we're going to use both and, and keep both involved. I don't know if I would say it's going to be necessarily rotation, but both guys are, are definitely going to play games and, and uh, get involved. Uh, right now, obviously, we play today, and then we don't play again until Saturday, so a bit of a, a lighter load that way. So Samsonoff will go today. Murray will go Saturday. Uh, and then we'll just sort of take it from there as the schedule starts to really heat up again. So, you know, uh, it is definitely good to get Matt back. He got through the game. You know, like I said the other night, I thought, you know, his stats will take a hit in, in a game like that. Um, unfortunately, because he was outstanding for us and kept us in the game and made some incredible saves uh, throughout and, and most importantly came out of the game feeling really good and healthy. So that was the kind of the, the last sort of hurdle for him is just to get into a game and, and uh yeah, all the stresses that come through playing in the game that are maybe difficult to replicate in a practice. And he got through that very well. So we'll just keep progressing with him. The last and most daunting hurdle, getting in a game for Matt Murray. That will forever be his biggest hurdle. And he said it's not going to be a rotation at the start of that clip, which surprised me. Implying that Samsonov would carry the ball. That, that's what I was going to ask. Which See, what, what what is you, that? What's he implying by that? Yeah, exactly. I didn't get enough to really read one way or the other. I Derek, really... can you play the first like ten seconds again? Is that okay, guys? Yeah. yeah. Obviously, we're going to pl- use both and, and keep both involved. I don't know if I would say it's going to be necessarily rotation, but both guys are, are definitely going to play games and, and uh, get involved okay. uh, right now. See, all I got out of that is that we won't go one and one. Yeah, but we'll I, just whoever's playing well. But I will go 
two and one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then even to that effect, you know, we won't be a rotation necessarily. Protects you against if you feel like a guy's hot and you want to roll with them, you will. Um, you're going to get a test. You know, those five next games, they have the first best offense, the third best offense, the fourth best offense, the sixth best, best offense. <laughs> like, they're playing the top seven offenses in the NHL in the next five games. Top five in their next whatever. Yeah. Shut up, Justin. Uh, we got you, buddy. Uh, yeah. Obviously, <laughs> obviously uh, injuries have played this goalie scenario out in it, in it itself. Mm-hmm. But I really get a sense, even these last 19 games, when he has both of them now healthy, that the vision that they had all along was that just they didn't really believe one guy was going to run way, with it one way or another. That they... All along, they had this feel of little from column A, a little from column <laughs> Correct. B. Exactly. That they thought that they were good. Like maybe it's a mental thing that they worry about. One guy feeling like he is the guy, but I, I think I don't all think along, they thought they'd get two good seasons. I think all along they thought they were gonna just rotate them on a on a short leash. Yeah, and that's where they are today. No, I know we. We are no further ahead than we were at game one. Yeah. We're in the exact The same only spot. thing that we're further ahead on is that we believe they can both stop the puck at a league average rate this season, at this age, at this point of their career. They've both had when Samsonov out. a lot more, but they both had good stretches, I guess. Maybe stretches is a stretching it, but they've, they've, the they've, both had, they've, they've both had times in the regular season when they've been very, very good. And I think for Sheldon and, and Kyle and Brendan, that's that's enough to say, I just need small windows of you to be good. And when you're not, I'm going to pull you out and I'm going to put the other guy in. I'm going to give you guys some fun stats on Ilya Samsonov's season. Um, so he's ninth, or sorry, we'll say he's 11th in save percentage this year, which I know you're not surprised by that. He's third best in the NHL in slot save percentage, first in inner inner slot save percentage. So first, first in, the in the league on inner slot save percentage. Now, quality starts. He doesn't have as many. He's, out, he's in the top, or outside the top twenty. And steals. Steals is a stat where you outperform your expected goals and your team wins. Zero. Zero. He has zero steals in the season. Zero steals on the Matt season. Murray has two. Yeah. Two steals. And so, who's, the I mean, I don't actually, oh. who's the league leader in steals? Uh, last I checked, it was Sam Montembeau from Montreal, who's had a very good season, oh, actually. Yeah, throw those out the window, <laughs> well, then. I mean, that just means he's getting peppered every single night, yes. right? Yes. Yeah, that's true, too. With zero expectations. Bingo. But, you know, no steals. Just saying. You know, he hasn't... Uh, Sam wants him to see, wants to see him go in there and... Well, I think... And if I was, you know, anecdotally, if you're talking about steals... Matt Murray would have two steals this year, a game against Dallas, Dallas and a game, the game against Nashville in yeah. Toronto when he was unbelievable. So, And I take it Matt Murray may need steal number three Saturday night. Against the oil? Like, I mean, all that is team that, does is, that is score touchdowns. Is, should he have announced that he's starting against Connor McDavid Tuesday? Like, <laughs> tell him like five minutes before he yeah, starts right. so he can have some, some, some good rests at yeah. night. It's so true. Yeah, I don't need to know that I've got to do something I dread a week in advance. Tell me morning of and I'll figure it out. Not to look ahead to that game, but I'll be. it's going to be really fascinating to see how the Leafs sort of respond after what happened 
last was that last Wednesday? That's the yeah. They took the biggest beating I can recall. Yeah, like that. Maybe not by scoreline wise no, or whatever. But play. just in general, they have never looked more out of a game than they looked in that game. And it was the first game with For all sure. their new guys yep. and yada yada excuse excuse. Absolutely. But and it this, was and the burner John Tavares will be back Sammy. for that game. So Sammy, yes, get 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 through tonight. Don't I, go Saturday. Listen, they're losing Please. tonight, boys. They, like, you can listen to our show no. for two hours. Oh, no. No, listen I'm betting the Leafs tonight. This oh, is the type my. of game they win. Wow. You never this get, is it. You never get them at plus 115. The Leafs are the most public team ever. So yeah. plus money Leafs is a very rare night. Plus money Leafs. Opportunity for new guys to get more yeah. opportunity. Everyone's going to be humming. In about seven minutes, we're going to welcome in general manager of the New Jersey Devils, Tom Fitzgerald, former Toronto Maple Leaf as well. Do you remember that? Very well, yes. No. <laughs> Sammy, you remember Fitzgerald being a, a Leaf? Uh, that was right before the lockout? Yeah, like he had a couple. He played quite a bit. I remember he played in the playoffs quite a bit for them a couple years. What there. years are we talking? Like, like 03, 04? Early 2000. Yeah. Okay. So that was my... Three, just, 2003. That was when the NHL was shown on Outdoor Life Network once a week <laughs> in the U.S. Versus, I miss those games. Versus? Yeah. Yeah, no, I remember him, and he, uh, yeah, he's a good player. Bottom six guy, could chip in with a goal here and there. They're going to have a different look. Uh, Timo Myers settled in nicely for New Jersey. Let's get uh, Sheldon Keefe's thoughts on the last time they played the Devils without Timo. Yeah, I just thought it was wild and loud. Uh, competitive at the time, you know, I think, I mean, they still have lots of reason to be excited about their team here, but certainly at that time, uh, I think you know they had a, a good streak going at the time, and they were really rolling as a group, and uh, the crowd was feeding off it. So I remembered lots of energy in the building, and, and we've had uh, a good chunk of that here throughout this trip. So uh, certainly in Vancouver was, uh, you know, uh, a loud environment and lots of energy in the building. I suspect it would be the same tonight. That was the game where the beer rained down. Remember the three disallowed goals? Right. Yes, yes. They got all the breaks in the world. Yeah, and they beat them 2-1 to end their 13-game winning streak at the time. We do have Mike Kelly tonight, so I'm going to do a, a little nerd piece here. The, um, the they three... were doing okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, uh, the best lines in the NHL by expected goals for percentage, so, you know, most things happen going the good way. The Devils have a bunch of them. Tatar, Heashier, and Mercer, third best line in the NHL. Um, Halla, Brat, and Hughes are in that top 15, Stasny, Natchez, and Svechnikov. I mean, they got three lines in the top 15 in the NHL this year. So, again, hands full for, I think we get Lily tonight. Are we getting Lily? We are. Riley, Lily. All right. Yeah. Listed as the bottom pair at practice, which I always I think I love is when hilarious. coaches start to yeah. do that. Yeah. I think I, I am favorable of Riley and Lilligren together. Yeah. I, thought, I thought they had a couple of good games. Remember when Riley first came back from injury and they played those two together? I like them, not as the top pair, though, which is crazy because, you know, he's your highest paid guy. What do they have as the top pair there, fellas? McKay Brody. Yeah, like I like that a lot as a top pair. Kipper, you're looking at me first. <laughs> as a top pair, usually it comes with some sort of threat offensively, guys. And McCabe's been buzzing a little bit. Oh, stop. <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is the, the Leafs have, I would say, a few guys who would, you would call a number two or three D-man, D-man but yeah. you know, when Riley's not playing well, they don't have a number one guy. Yes. So your pair always looks different when you don't have that guy that's headman 
or that's, you know, Pronger. We can focus on Mercer and Hughes and Nico Heischer, but Dougie Hamilton comes in with what? Good example. 60 points, guys. No, he doesn't. Does he really? My God. I don't know. What I'm, at, I'm not actually calling your what bluff. I'm saying I don't know. Like, this team he can has push. 61 points. In <laughs> oh, I was wrong. <laughs> you're you're, you're, you're your, right. Your, I was wrong. Your facts are 18 right, goals and 43 points like, so far. 18 goals? Yeah. That is a true threat. Who didn't want him last? Where was he? Been? And, and if you'll recall, I think I think Kyle Dubas loves him too. Oh, he does. I think he's always been on that that, loves that these Doug Hamilton hunt when every every team thought he was like weird or didn't fit in with their team, and he's like, no, no, don't confuse weird for just being really highly intelligent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah, like I've, I, it is unbelievable that it's stuck with this guy that he. Someone said he like likes to go to museums, and, and now he's like, like the yeah, museum guy. And yeah, I don't know if you remember this or not, but he was traded with. He was picked with a uh, one of the picks that was traded for Phil Kessel. <laughs> Sagan and Dougie Hamilton were the two picks that the Leafs Un- traded for Phil Kessel. Ouchie! Uh, That's an ouchie there. That was if, a little burkey. If we're gonna focus on the Leaf blue line, let's go to Sheldon Keefe on his thoughts on. Oh, no. Okay. It's Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. Oh, I thought he meant... It was uh, just a little update on Ryan O'Reilly. Did he? He did. Okay. Then um, my apologies. I thought it was Morgan Riley, but uh, let's focus on Ryan O'Reilly with his comments. Yeah, he actually... He met met with a specialist yesterday, ended up having surgery here this morning, um, which was... In a lot of cases, this is sort of how, how it goes. It's just to stabilize the fracture a little bit more. Everything I was told uh, went really well, and timeline's four weeks. So, um, you know, we'll uh, give him that time, of course. And you know, like I was saying yesterday, the nature of the injury, I think we'll see him back on skates pretty quickly. Uh, and, and that's a good a good sign. And, and then, of course, we'll, we'll welcome him back when he's good and ready. You'd love to see him play what? Four games before well, playoffs. What is, what is four weeks exactly? That takes him to April 4th, maybe. And then the season ends yeah. on the 12th. Have a look, yep. JB, for us. And yep. I, I, I think there's two games, maybe three games in that. Yeah, I'll get you one sec here. We are at, so when you get it to April, they la- their last game is April 13th. So if let's say he's back on the 4th. They yeah. play the 4th against Columbus. Okay. They play the 6th, the 8th, the 10th, the 11th, and the 13th. Oh, that's a lot of hockey. Six games conceivably. So he should maybe get five. He should be able five. to get four, four, four to five. Yeah. You don't, need to, you don't need to jam all of them in there. Leaf season ends with a bang. Bruins, Canadians, Panthers, Lightning, Rangers. So hopefully everything is, is clear and clean and you know no infections and and all of that have you broken any digits no i haven't but i I remember this one story where i got traded with steve larmer and uh he uh he took a heavy slash off of gary roberts and and broke his finger Mm -hmm. and they told him four to six weeks with a pin now steve larmer had this consecutive streak in chicago and we have Chicago now in 10 days since he broke his finger. And he's just like, I ain't missing that game. Yeah. So he, he played with a 10 days after his surgery to put a pin in. And there, there's some guys to this day on our team think that, that he, he was so uncomfortable with the pin that he actually uh, took the pin out with a pair of pliers <laughs> in the dressing room. 
Really? And I don't think that that's true. <laughs> but that's 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 the story. That's yeah. going. That's the myth of of what. Yeah. You know how tough he was, but I probably have a doctor in there somewhere shaving it down because it was sticking out of his finger. Yeah. But listen, if it was the playoffs, well, I don't. I don't think Ryan O'Reilly would be gone four weeks. Yeah, so I broke my thumb. I took a hard slash off a face-off broken thumb, and I didn't know it was broken at the time. It was playoffs for us. I was our leading scorer. I was like, I'm going to play. So we ended up, I switched to a stick, like an aluminum stick with no vibration, and they, you know, they had a little splint, so it's sticking out while I was holding it. But, like, you know, I, I played. It's a matter for me with fingers. It's like, you can play. You know, yeah. does he want to jeopardize his hand and his future contracts and all that? Who knows? But he'll be able to play. Face-offs also a big part of his game. Maybe he plays second that, line with uh, Do we have Tom Fitzgerald? Hey, Tom, really appreciate you joining us. We know you're getting ready for a, a big game tonight, but uh, thanks for your time. Uh, how things going? It's good. Uh, I'm not really getting ready for the game. <laughs> 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 oh, listen. Good luck. Fun day. Sure. Good luck grabbing like three quarters of uh, your colleagues as a general manager. It's like, I don't do that on game day. A <laughs> little meditation on game day is, is, is welcoming. Uh, before we get into some detail about your hockey club, just give us, uh, you know, the view from 60,000 feet from going from a team that, uh, you know, was on the outside looking in for the last few years to to being a genuine contending team now. Well, the 60,000 foot view would be the vision that I'm really sure I'm going to change in New Jersey. You know what, Tom? We're just going to get a cleaner line for you. We'll call you right back, okay? Okay, we'll get uh, we'll get the general manager of New Jersey back on the line momentarily, and we'll see if we can uh, clean up. Oh, just before we had him, we were talking about O'Reilly, so I'll squeeze it in. Maybe yeah. with a bad hand, this incentivizes them to keep him on the second line with Tavares so someone else can take face-offs. So he's not coming home and or, you know jumping in and putting a lot of pressure on that. It might be an incentive to keep on the second line rather than go three. Yeah, I, I, who knows how it's going to look. I mean, we're going to get a, a completely different look for obvious reasons with no Tavares and O'Reilly mm-hmm. in the lineup. But Tavares cold must still be acting up today. You, you see... You see once, uh, you know, even in April that he's got to lock something in, eh, those last five games when it comes to the lines that he envisions for game one. Yeah, and so it's a good time for him to come back. The good news is less games to get hurt closer to playoffs. Coast through till then. Okay, Tom, sorry about that, uh, but your overall thoughts on the season so far? Yeah, yeah, my bad. That's That was my end. Um, well, I, I was saying, like, when Ray Shiro came in, yeah, uh, geez, I don't know. Eight years ago, his vision was to 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 really become one of the youngest teams. We were the oldest team in the league, you know. So you can you do that with trades and obviously gaining future assets. Um, and then you know that plan never really uh, we, we really want to get off track with it. Um, but then you you get to a point where you're drafting first and you're drafting you know a Nico and a, and a Jack and, and winning lotteries with uh, Luke Hughes and. Um, but really, at the end of the day, you know what, when ownership, when you have the backing of ownership to, to move this thing forward and um, they want to spend money, you go out and, and you get a Dougie Hamilton and then a Palat. Uh, you know, you, you make a couple of trades for Marino and Halla um, and take on some money. And, and you, next thing you know, you become a cap team. Um, 
you know, I, we just felt like with the, the, the pillars of players that we have, Jack and Nico and, and, and Jesper Bratt, that finding the support system around them would, would benefit everybody. Um, last year, I think, was a, a year where, you know, the data told us where we were going. The data showed that we were trending on um, being a good team and comparing to teams, you know, really good teams uh, in the past when they were at this stage. And, um, you know, so we felt that, you know, going into the summer, you know, we how, do, how can we further support uh, our, our young pillars and, you know, going out and making a trade for Vanacek just to secure the goaltending situation and, and allowing Mackenzie Blackwood to grow um, and have support, uh, finding the, the, the championship pedigree and, and Andre Palat on really what it takes to, to win. Um, you know, from every minute you walk into the minute you walk into the room to the minute you leave. Um, so, you know, having that backing, but the, the, the reality is this goal was set eight years ago. I, I, I was, you know, fortunate enough to carry it out. And um, here we are, you know, we're just, we're just trying to plug in away and, I think our coaching staff has done an extremely good job of, of keeping these guys grounded, focused, um, and getting better each day they show up to the rink. Tom, I think the passive uh, fan, or at least the you know not the hockey obsessives that follow the league, are well aware of you know Jack Hughes and uh, even Heeshier and what Timo Meyer can do. Is there anyone on your team or a, a number of guys maybe who, for people who don't watch your team every night, you just think this this player is really effective for you guys, or uh, maybe deserves a little bit more credit than they get? Sure, I mean I think you know bringing in John Marino, like this guy's yeah. a good hockey player. You know, he just he, he cares about defending, um, and he can move the puck. He just he, he's just very efficient uh, with his all-around game. Um, so, you know, adding that on the right side to comp, to go with Dougie Hamilton and, and Damon Severson uh, really was a no-brainer for us. And, you, and we control him for another few years, which was which was great. He's still young. Um, I thought, you know, what Eric Halla has brought to the table each and every day. You know, he's versatile. He can move up and play with. With, with Jack Hughes like he did and, and actually, you know, help support him. Um, or he can anchor our third line. Uh, great on face-offs. He's a very good penalty killer um, and, and can, can slide in on your second power play. So the versatility that he brings and the experience, this is a guy who's never not made the playoffs. So, you know, th- those those small little moves, I think, have been really big for us. Obviously, Vanacek in the goal has played well um, up to this point. Um, he's won us a lot of hockey games and, uh, during our stretch, especially during that 13-game stretch. Uh, even a Brendan Smith in the locker room, you know, and what he brings on the ice, that hard nose, uh, grittiness, but the leadership he can bring in the locker room is just, you know, you, you just you can't have, have enough of those guys around. I'm probably forgetting people, obviously, Andre Palat with his experience and pedigree of winning has been huge. But, but I think the, the biggest part is that the growth of our, our homegrown players. You know, Jack, Nico, uh, uh, Bradder, uh, even Dawson Mercer. Um, you know, you look at Boquist, who's starting to come on, and then we've got our homegrown fourth line with Miles Wood, Mike McLeod, the BMW line, we call it, and Nate Bastion. Um, adding a guy like Curtis Lazar uh, for the depth, uh, the versatility, um, and playoff experience was just really a no-brainer for us. We're joined by Tom Fitzgerald, general manager of New Jersey. Uh, Tom, we just went through... I think one of the more entertaining NHL trade deadlines, we saw some big names, some big pieces, but when it comes to the most impactful piece, everybody says Timo Meyer. Can you just give us a, a Cole's notes of the experience of going 
after one of the highest, uh, you know, most sought after guys and, and landing him for you and what that experience was like? Sure. Um, you know, I, I have to thank Mike Greer for, for, you know, how we worked together on this. And I know Mike uh, <laughs> was a lot busier than me um, dealing with multiple teams, um, to say the least. Uh, but you know what? We've identified we identified players who we feel can fit with us, who give us the best chance to, uh, you know, win. Um, who can add value, um, and, and, and probably the most important thing can grow with our our core and our pillars. You know, Timo Meyer's twenty six years old. Um, he's still young. Uh, he's a, he's a hell of a player. Uh, we're excited to have him. The process was was long because you know you, you build up really if the team was going to move a player. Then you find out they are willing to move him. And then, okay, what are the costs? What are the pieces? What's the framework framework look like? And from the get-go, we've always felt that we, we've we had we, – we really believe we we have pieces in our organization that can get deals done like this. So, you know, you know your first is going, into, going in with it. You know a, a top prospect, a roster player or two. Um, we, we really felt like – we we definitely could be in on this, and then once we got going on on the talks and, and really what some of the pieces would look like, we definitely felt like Jesus could happen. And then you start getting into the pieces, and piece goes in, piece comes out. What's what's this look like? There's a draft pick involved, and it was long, you know what? But that's how these deals get done. Um, I probably felt very comfortable on Saturday night, last Saturday night or two Saturday nights ago, um, after speaking with Mike late my time not too late his time. Um, and then we consummated the deal on, on Sunday. You know, for Timo to grow with your team, you, you got to get him on a long-term deal. Anything you want to announce on the real Kipper and Bourne show right now? <laughs> no, that's, you know, I'm a real believer that the business side of it will take care of itself. You know, getting Timo here, one, getting him healthy. You know, he's healthy now. He's here. You know, really want to just inject him into, you know, not only the, the locker room, but our entire staff. You know, we do believe we've got the best athlete care team in the league. Uh, just the coaching staff. I've said it over and over again, guys. Like, you know, everybody has this image of New Jersey, but they really don't know New Jersey. Um, we're one-stop shopping here at the Prudential Center. Practice games, you know, the airport's seven minutes down the road. We're in our bed every night by one o'clock when we're traveling throughout the East. You know, we've got three bus trip games um, mm-hmm. and, and living here, you know, just the, the suburbs are, are beautiful and whether a lot of our guys live down in Jersey city or Hoboken, you're, you're a ferry away from Manhattan for dinner at night. And uh, it's just, it's a hidden gem. So our hope is that it'll sell itself for, for chemo. Um, understand really what we are. He knows what we are as a hockey team, but is this the place where he wants to live long-term? And, and we think it will be. Yeah. It's a top underrated place in the NHL for all the reasons the outline totally agree there. Um, you know, I want to ask you about Lindy Ruff coming in to join your team this, not this year, but you know, he gets the chance. It's fire Lindy. It's sorry, Lindy at the beginning, you know, you, you had mentioned earlier about how the data had pointed to you guys that you were a pretty good team the year before. I know you guys are at least partially involved in some of that. You have a skilled, fast team. Lindy played in a, you know, a heavier, tougher era. How, how has Lindy adapted and changed with you guys to become, you know, to have such success with this particular group? Great question. You know, like when I was, when I set out to, to find that next coach, um, and the list was big and then you dwindle it down and then, 
you have more talks, um, and you try to find people who are, are, are seeing the game like I do um, as the manager. I was looking for a partner, to be quite honest. Right. I was like, the other day, my background is probably more coaching, X's and O's and strategizing on the ice, which I love because of my playing days. And I really love that um, side of it. But finding someone who, who saw the game the same as I do, but also could challenge each other. Um, you know, I look at some of the great organizations in different sports. It's that, that manager-coaching relationship, I think, that, that puts teams over the top. So that's what I was looking for from the get-go. And then you, you break that down even more, and you look at what Lindy has done uh, throughout his career. You know, what he did in Dallas with those young players, J- Jamie Benn and, and, and Tail, uh, Tyler uh, um, Oh my God, Sagan. You know, guys like that. Right. And, and, and what he did in Buffalo with that young team back in the day. And, and it just felt like he, he understood development um, and understood nurturing and understood mistakes. He understood, you know, like the noose isn't loose uh, too tight all the time with, with players and make a mistake, you're out. He, you know, having patience. Um, and and, and we, we, we both set out and had a game plan from that shortened season. This is, we're going to allow these kids to make mistakes and learn from it and grow and not worry about X's and uh, winning. That'll come. And then the next year was, okay, the, the accountability gets a little tighter with guys, but we still want to let them run. Let the horses run and let them understand, um, you know, what the game's all about. The game of mistakes, you know, but limiting the same ones over and over again are how you get better. Um, last year was, uh, okay, now now accountability is, is a big part of where we're at. But I, I, I needed somebody who, who saw that same vision as I did, and Lindy, Lindy was that guy. So, um, yeah, we, we talked about last year, everything that we were shown, the data-wise, was we're getting better. Um, but this year was just, it was more cultural change, the additions that we made, um, and really surrounding what we've established, what we've built up through the draft. Uh, with the players we've mentioned to, to, to support them and, and push them and, and understand really what it takes to, to win. Gee, Tom, just listening to your words, I, I can't help but thinking that you're, you're talking about Jack Hughes and, you know, especially in this era where we all want instant gratification, first pick overall, can you speak a little bit to his growth and, and how you and Lindy have, have gone about that uh, especially watching him go from young potential superstar to uh, an actual superstar. Well, yeah, I mean, when Ray Ray Shero drafted Jack first overall, he came in. You know, expectations were he was going to play on our team. He wasn't committed to any college. He was drafted in the OHL. That wasn't appealing to him. So, I uh, played in the World Championships prior to the draft. So he was playing against men. Um, and just felt that being in New Jersey would be the best place for him. How can we support him and his family uh, from living to you know, athlete care to workouts, things that he needed? He was a boy, you know. He, he was a young boy, and um, it was it was uh, it, it was it was a bit humbling, I would say, because uh, mm-hmm. the NHL is a hard league, and Jack Jack realized that right away. Um, but with that being said. I don't think any of us would change that path right now because I really believe, and I think his family believes, that he had to go through that to understand really what this league's all about. So when he says at the end of the year, when he and I sit down and talk, you know, what what surprised you? You know, what what was something that you really didn't see? He just, I couldn't believe how good defensemen were, meaning how big, how mobile, how rangy, how little time and space you had. So if he didn't have that, I think that happens 
the next year, which would have been his first year. Right. Um, so I, I just think by just dropping him right in the deep end of the pool, uh, I think we've all benefited from because he really quickly understood what the what this league was about, what he needed to do. Matter of fact, what he needed to do, and then and then and, and as you continue on after that first year. The season was delayed. Remember, we went. We didn't get going in January. So he, in particular, had it along with everybody else. But he needed an extension of his off off ice training in the summer, and I, I just thought that that really benefited him. He came back. You know, he had the the bigger legs. He was thicker. You just you just saw the growth in his uh, in his body, and I just think those little things right there really helped him become the player he is. And he's just he's fun to watch, and he's a highly competitive kid. Uh, and he just like, like he doesn't want to walk the ice. <laughs> yeah, he seems awfully energetic. Um, last one for me, and we really appreciate your time again. Just your thoughts on you know the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, coming up here. They had six new players at the deadline. The things have been a little rocky since all those additions. What are your thoughts on integrating players at the deadline? Can it be too many to sort of disrupt the flow of a team, or do you got to just kind of make the changes you got to make? Well, I think every team's different. Every every manager has a different philosophy. Um, you know, I don't I don't look at any other team and what they've done. I've said this over and over again. Like we we're not a reactionary team. I'm not a reactionary person. So when when we see the Eastern Conference <laughs> doing what they did, building up to the deadline, um, we were just doing things that we felt were best for our organization. Um, for the long for the long haul, and Timo Meyer was that, and even uh, Lazar because we control him. Um, but I'm not, like for me, I've, I've said this. I'm on record as saying this. Like I, I, you build your team in the summer, and you allow your team to grow together and and, and work together during training camp, like any team does. And, and Kipper, you know this as well. Like it, it's it doesn't take two weeks to to understand the system. You know, it's, there's a reason why teams say well, we're going to re- reevaluate our team at the 20 game mark because it takes that long to really understand how how your team supposed to play a system. Um, but adding at the deadline and adding pieces, I think I think what Kyle did was was fantastic. The, the pieces he had, you're adding, you're adding different pieces. You're adding smart players that understand their roles. Uh, understanding a new system shouldn't take them long. Um, however, I, I just like, I guess for us, you know, we were we've been putting along here pretty good. And I didn't really want to disrupt uh, all that much. We didn't need to change all that much. And I, you know, I've said this again, guys. I our window's just opening. It's just opening. We just opened the crack, and you know we've got we've got plenty of years here to uh, to really figure things out. Yeah. So hearing you say that, uh, I get the sense that uh, a guy like uh, Luke Fox, or I'm sorry, Luke Luke Fox is our Sportsnet <laughs> CA guy. Luke Hughes, your fourth overall pick in 2021. Once his season's over, we may not see him like Sammy McKee has uh, Matthew Nyes uh, coming out of uh, Minnesota and winning the Conn Smythe this year for the Leafs. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, no, I mean, our, our plan is, Kipper, like our plan is for, for Luke, you know, to turn pro whenever his season's over and um, integrate him with our group. Um, but by no means is the pressure on this this young man to to jump in and be the you know the the savior or the guy who's going to put us over the top. Hey, listen, if if, if he comes in and, and things snowball in the, the right direction, that's it's it's gravy for us. It's 
that'd be great. You know, same same with uh, Simone Nemich in the American League. If, if he was able to get a chance and uh, with his experience at the American League level, so uh, we just feel very fortunate that we have like we have two along with. Alexander Holtz, who's back in the American League and, and doing very well. Like we've got those guys in the hall waiting to waiting for their turn. Hey Tom, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for doing this. All the best of uh, luck to you and your team the rest of the season. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. What a great interview. Okay, so Luke Hughes. Like, think about. I, I don't think we'll ever see in the near future an impactful transition like a kale mccarr Mm -hmm. but this guy has a chance to be really special too. this luke hughes which is people not familiar this Mm. is a brother of jack and and simone nemich too is another guy for them is an interesting note i just gotta say we've never had a gm on the on the show that loves their team as much as tom fitzgerald loves his team i get it I get it, too. I mean, they're third in the NHL by points percentage. They Two years ago, they were uh, garbage. I, I mean, they were really bad. They were bottom they were five really team. Bad. Really bad. And they, went, they went from, like, really bad to really good. Oh, I mean, I've, I can't remember a transition. You know, like, I've seen teams go from bad to good, but it was like they were really bad, and now they're like, holy smokes. Good. Hey, before we go to break, I want to make sure we talk about the rivalry train. Before, because I got to do this. Well, before. now would be the time. Thank you very much. Just want to make sure Kipper didn't throw it a break. Go, baby. Uh, Molson Canadian wants to give you and a friend the ultimate hockey fan experience through their Molson Canadian Rivalry Train Contest. This includes a round-trip uh, train from Toronto to Ottawa to see your Leafs take on the Sens April 1st with food and beverage included at the game as well as an overnight hotel accommodation. Hey, now, to enter, all you have to do is tune into the Real Kipper and Bourne Show every day this week and listen for the code word and then text it in to 59590. Today's code word is Maple Leafs. Text Maple Leafs to 59590 right now for your chance to win. We have another code word for tomorrow. Be sure to tune in. And, of course, you have to be 19 at least to get into this contest. So there we go, fellas. You know what that that sound is? That's the text coming in right now. How many did you have yesterday? I'm just looking right now at the text line quickly before we go to break. Uh, yesterday, there was no less than 1,000. Oh. I'm looking right now. Are uh, you serious? Uh, they are flying. <laughs> 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 so lots of people want to go see the Leafs in Ottawa. How could you not? Sounds like a sick so, trip. The trains, I love. Yeah. Anyways. Text it in. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, Mike Kelly, hockey analyst specializing in analytics. We're going to get to hard numbers and we're going to tell Mike what are the good numbers and <laughs> yeah, you tell which us ones numbers. are we'll, the we'll ones you're them. wasting our time with. There you go. Mike Kelly, after the break, you're watching and listening to Real Kipper and Born. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. All about the numbers. Welcome in Mike Kelly, and a hockey analyst specializing in analytics, NHL Network, Sport Logic. Uh, Mike, thanks for doing this as always. Uh, let's just start with the trade deadline and. You know, you're a numbers guy, so you see 
with teams, trends, and uh, and where things head or remain consistent. Yet we see the Leafs with a, an altering maybe philosophy somewhat. What was your first thoughts on how five or six new faces could change numbers for the Leafs off the top of your head? Uh, it was that I, I think I, I liked all the moves. If you just look at them kind of move by move, they all pretty much make sense, right? You get McCabe in, and uh, he's a little heavier, and um, Lafferty's got a bunch of great speed and can kill penalties. Uh, O'Reilly, I think that kind of speaks for itself, the leadership, the face-offs, the things that he does well. And, you know, you go on and on, and, and Noel Chari depth, it all makes sense. But then, to your point, you end up with six new players, and and teams have 18. So that's a big chunk. And, you know, the, the hockey players that I work with, analysts, people like yourself, Kipper, uh, a few of them were like, that's, that's a lot of upsetting the apple cart, maybe too much. Um, so there's that point that you can look at. Uh, but then you watch a couple of guys get hurt, and you're kind of happy to have the depth. So it, it seemed to me that Toronto, um, I'm not saying they did this because of just Tampa Bay, but the playoffs in general, like we need to win battles on the walls. We need to not get pushed off pucks. We need to be able to forecheck effectively. That it's going to be a slugfest, I think, in Tampa Bay series. And Tampa went out and got Tanner Janot, and and you know they're they're not shy about forechecking and, and playing that game too. So um, that's what those moves kind of said to me. Mike, you know we're talking about the Leafs here every day and talking about their chances in playoffs. The re- reality is none of it really matters unless Austin Matthews is able to to be Austin Matthews. Like you have to, the whole thing is built on their superstars being superstars. He's been a superstar, but not as good as he can be. Have you seen anything in the numbers or even with your eye test, just watching Matthews this year in terms of his decline in offensive output? Cause it is down significantly. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm looking at this the other day, actually. And I'm thinking, you know, Matthews, you know, he's obviously not doing what he did last year, but he still scored a lot of goals this year. I mean, it's not like, He's having a terrible season, but the simplest thing is last year in just about every critical offensive category, when it comes to goal scoring, he was either first or very close to it. And, you know, we're talking not just just goals, but um, the chances you're generating, right? Expected goals. And we all love that term, but goal probability, um, um, how you, how you're creating those chances. So he's not one dimensional. He can do it off the rush. He can cycle uh, one timer. It was all there. And he's at the top of the league in all these areas. And this season, he's still very good. And I mean, he's top 25 in just about all of them, but he's not first or second or third. So everything's kind of dipped a little bit. Now, why is that? Is, is there anything that's nagging him? Um, you know, playing away from Marner for stretches. We see how Mitch Marner is one of the best playmakers in the world. Uh, maybe it's a combination of things, but still very, very good. But yeah, it's just kind of dipped across the board um, from the best to, you know, one of the top 20. In, in all these areas. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because we, we saw one of the best outputs that we've seen in a long time out of Ryan O'Reilly, Tavares, and, and Marner in Buffalo. And yet Sheldon comes back, and it's a, almost as if it's what you said. Uh, Matthews needs Marner. I'm taking him off that line, and I'm putting him with Matthews. And Matthews... I think the next game, I think two goals or better looks. And coincidentally, I don't think Ryan O'Reilly had a point after that for a mm-hmm. few games. And like, 
you, you need two Mitch Marners almost for, <laughs> and uh, it, it, was that a bigger statement for, for Matthews needing Marner that you have an, uh, an output like that in Buffalo and can't keep that line together? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Mitch, like Mitch Marner elevates everybody around him, right? You, you don't need numbers to, to know that. Um, He's got a ton of assists. Even beyond that, the playmaking, just finding guys in the slot, nobody's connected on more of those passes this year than Mitch Marner in the league. Um, Austin Matthews' game is is well-rounded enough, versatile enough, that he's still going to be productive, just maybe not to that degree. And you could probably say that about just about any player if you're playing with Mitch Marner. I, I don't think it's a knock on Austin Matthews by any means, but everybody's going to benefit greater from playing with him versus anybody else on the roster. So... That, I guess, is the balancing act is can Austin do enough away from him where we can put Mitch with somebody else and elevate that person for the greater good of the team? Or do we need Austin at this level and that requires Mitch and the other guys are going to have to figure something out uh, away from him? this This is the thing that interests me about this team. And the injuries throws this all for a loop because, you know, now you've got guys that are out, you know, O'Reilly for four weeks, it sounds like Tavares, it should be back soon uh, by the sounds of it. But um, I had an opportunity once to listen to some of the best coaches ever talk about how they prepared for game sevens in the playoffs. And it was fascinating. And one thing they all said was you don't want to go into critical games in the playoffs with something that you haven't done before. And whether that's a line combination or a system change, you don't want to go in with an unknown. So I think there's going to be, line juggling down the stretch um just in case you get into the playoffs and you know what something's not working for a couple games we need to change it up well we've done it before and these guys are familiar i think that probably has to happen down the stretch for toronto yeah i've been a little concerned watching them. their offensive chances like they're just inner slot shot creation and all that stuff is down since mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know going back to february 1st just looking at it today so have my concerns about them the the devils don't seem to have that same concern for someone who doesn't watch the devils uh and is going to watch them tonight what's something they can look for in terms of maybe unique traits of the new jersey devils they are fast they play fast everywhere right and not just skating speed i mean they play fast they move the puck fast um, they're one of the top teams in the league at scoring off of turnovers. So they'll create them and then boom, pass, pass goal. So I'd watch for, uh, New Jersey, whether it's four check, just play in the offensive zone, neutral zone in general, uh, to try to force Toronto into some mistakes and counterattack really quick. They're really good at that. Um, they're a top five team in the league generating offense off the rush. They've got three of the top 10 players in the league generating offense off the rush in terms of chances. Um, that's Hishier, that's Jack Hughes, that's Timo Meyer. So they are, are so fast and, and hard to contain. Um, Jack Hughes, man, when he gets the puck, like he's not shy to cut into the middle of the ice and, and, and use the, the ice to his advantage. He's not just going down the walls and playing on the outside. Um, Dougie Hamilton shot. Uh, they're, they're, they're one of the most fun teams in the league to watch. And as good as they are offensively, they're every bit as good defensively as well. So um, you nailed it, Borny. Like Toronto's had trouble in front of the net, both ends of the ice recently, getting mm-hmm. those shots, limiting them. New Jersey is as tough a test as you'll find in both those areas. Mike, secondary scoring has been a bit of an issue on this road trip. Uh, any concern there? Um, 
Yes, I mean, as much as you could ever have about secondary scoring, sure. And then especially now with Tavares and, and O'Reilly not in, like, you know, Willie, it wasn't that long ago he was playing with those guys. He's got, it looks like, Lafferty and Yarncroft in this game. So right. um, I, I think Nylander's capable of just, you know, doing special things on his own if he has to, too. Um, but, yeah, you go down the lineup, and it's more kind of defensive checking than guys that pop off the page offensively. And this is this is a tough one, like I said, about New Jersey. You want you want I mean it's a tough one for their top guys to score against this team, let alone you get into a depth matchup. The third line for the Devils has been fantastic recently. Um Toronto to try to win those battles will be tough. Uh and I, I saw you mention this earlier, uh, Borny as well, like the, the next five games for Toronto, all the speed they're gonna be facing in those yeah. teams. I think you can even lump Ottawa on the back end of that into it. Ottawa plays fast too, at least offensively, so um, these are going to be challenging games for certainly the bottom guys, but but even the top guys. So let's zoom out to the league a little bit at large and just get your thoughts on some uh, surprising seasons uh, from players. I don't know if there's anyone who stands out to you in terms of guy maybe you didn't think was a superstar or just guys taking a step. Uh, does anyone pop out to you that just kind of you know came out of nowhere for you? Well, that's a good question. Um, just top of my head, can we say Connor McDavid? <laughs> <laughs> it's still ridiculous, he's not even isn't it? To score this many points, yeah. it's nuts. Um, just keeping with with the matchup tonight, even Jack Hughes. I didn't think Jack Hughes had this kind of scoring in him, maybe ever. Uh, definitely not this early in his career. Like he could score fifty this year. I didn't see that coming as well. Um, and one of the things I was looking at recently, a little trivia for you guys, if you want, but. I'm looking at dual threats because Jack's become that now, right? That he can score at the rate that he's scoring at. We know he's a great playmaker. So guys in the league this year that have 30 goals, 30 assists, 100 shots from the slot, 100 passes from the slot uh, or into the slot. There's five of those guys. Jack Hughes is one of them. Yeah. Feel free to name any others if you can think of them. Connor. But dual threat playmaker goal scorer. Yeah, McDavid's another one. McKinnon? No, he hasn't played enough. We have Dreisaitl... No, he's not one. Kirill Kaprizov? Uh, Kirill's one. Very nice. Pasternak's another one. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> what do you got, Sammy? You got a, a contribution? You got a guess, Sammy? Oh, they have 30 goals already? Is that the cl- 30 gonna, goals, 30. I was going to say Marner, but no. Not Marner, no. Who's uh, McDavid? Tage Thompson. Pasternak. Tage. Not Tage. No, he's a shooter. He's he's yeah. just rifling off the top of the circle. Uh, not Bo. <laughs> All right, well, not Bo. I'm ready for the answer no. whenever you are, Kip. I'm ready for Colorado. the answer. Miko Uncle. Rantanen. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Miko? Miko Rantanen. Yeah, yeah. So, what a list. Anyways, yeah, when you just talk about dual threat guys, and if you use that kind of criteria, I think it's fair. Um, and, and those are five awesome, awesome players. So that's, that's where Jack's kind of got to. And I, I didn't think he had the goal scoring, but... Um, other players who have kind of jumped up out of nowhere, like, I mean, R&H, the season he's having in, in Edmonton, um, mm. that's 78 points. He's 10th in the league in scoring. <laughs> and, you know, he's a really smart, intelligent player, but um, there's been some great stories this you season. You know, and I have on occasion on this show mentioned that, like, it, it is rare that it, when the Leafs are going well and you have a one-two punch of Tavares and Matthews is your number one and number two center. They're both shooter mentality guys, mm-hmm. which lends to your, I don't know, imbalance. So more playmakers? Well, just 
usually, traditionally, you've got one center who, out of two, that are better known for playmaking than they are scoring. And yeah. Leafs have always presented Matthews and Tavares as shooters first, right? They they like their goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Matthews is a decent playmaker. He's a goal scorer, and if he gets the puck in a good area, he's going to shoot it as he should. Tavares is a net front type guy. Um, they're not so, playmakers yeah. per se. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah. That that you know that's interesting. It's, I wonder if you look at top six four uh, centers kind of across playoff teams, even just good teams, what the archetype breakdown is. Um, the thing about uh, both of Matthews and Tavares, so they can score uh, different ways. They're two of the best players too, kind of off the puck, getting it back, using their body to win battles. Um, they have a lot of similarities in just kind of how they play in the ozone as well, I would say. Um, but you're right. No, not two guys that are. Well, listen, uh, I'll go like, again, uh, again, outside of the, the traditional look, your best two playmakers are wingers. Marner and Nylander are better passers and setup yeah. men than Tavares and Matthews. Like find me another example over the course of history of that. It's rare. Hmm. I hadn't thought about it. Uh, that's an interesting thing to think about, though. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, the, the Leafs have a very different looking roster this year. Obviously, a few more heavy guys than they have in the past too. So it is a, a unique group. Do you have a at this point a, a cup favorite? Last one for me is to get your sense heading in here. Is there a, a head? And, is it? I'm sure. Actually, you know what? I'm going to take the Bruins off the table. Outside of Boston, is there someone <laughs> no, else? <laughs> yeah, it's like the McDavid discussions, right? Other than Connor. Um, yeah, look, uh, New Jersey's tires from the second game of the year. Wow. Um, I think they could look if they, they're going to probably going to play the Rangers in the first round. I'd be inclined right now to pick them as favorites over the Rangers. Um, I didn't have the Rangers on my, we did a top five most improved organizations on deadline day at the NHL network. I had the devils on there. I didn't have the Rangers. Um, I, I think New Jersey could be sneaky in that sense. And you guys might laugh at me about this one, but the LA Kings finally got some goaltending and that team has been so good defensively and so good kind of everywhere else. And the Pacific is mm-hmm. not a juggernaut division. I don't know about winning a cup. Let's not go that far. Um, getting to a conference final wouldn't shock me. So those are kind of maybe more sleeperish picks. Um, They're all sleepers cool. in the West. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they might all be sleepers in the East other than Boston, too. But uh, what's cool in the East, right, is that those six teams, no one's going to be surprised if any one of them wins the Stanley Cup, right? Right. Mike, really, uh, you good? Yep. You good? Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to let you go. But I uh, always appreciate your uh, your time and uh, certainly gave us some food for thought uh, on your 30 for, what was it again? What was that stat? 30 goals. Thirty goals, thirty assists, a hundred slot passes, a hundred slot shots. See, I like that a lot. Love it. Okay, Mike, thanks for doing this, man. Mike Kelly. All right, cheers, guys. NHL Network, Sport Logic. See, useful. Useful. So, who was it? it was Pasternak, Rantanen, um, Kirill Kaprizov, Jack Hughes, and McDavid. Which you you know how I've feel about 
the Leafs having that different look. I've brought it up before. Tonight would have been, are you paying attention, Sammy? Oh, I'm, I am paying attention. Tonight would have been a, a good example for me with no Ryan O'Reilly, no Tavares to put either Marner or Nylander in the middle behind Matthews. Mm-hmm. They are, they, they have historically played center. Yeah. They, they know the position well. Not at, well, Marner. Not, a, not in the NHL. Oh, I see. Marner played it in junior? Yeah. Oh. And they did it with, uh, they used to do it with Nylander here and there. Well, that, Nylander's that done it this year. Was that and, this and, year? And played it in the American League was it for year two years that? or whatever, a year and a half, whatever. For me, I, half a year? I, I, don't I don't like Lafferty there. Lafferty, to me, has to be one of those guys that's situational. I, I, like it there I bump him up to, the, to, to a top six, get things going, grease it up a little bit. Piss somebody off. Yeah. Open up some lanes. Don't worry about playing 200 feet and being the captain, reliable. Go, like go, Going against a very good team right now, putting yeah. Lafferty in a second slot center position right now, I think probably puts a little pressure on him to perform tonight. And I'm like not sure I want to do that. Feels like you're asking a lot of the guy. Like, I, like, I like Achari a lot, and I trust him. His defensive positioning to me is superb. I'm very impressed. So yeah. if you want to play him center and he's playing in his own zone, and I don't expect him to be as fast and get it on the forecheck as much as Lafferty, maybe so at a swap. Lafferty's playing the responsible guy in his own zone, and he's going to look up, and he's going to see 88 breaking out, <laughs> looking for that for that. Uh, that that seam pass or that lob pass that puts him on a breakaway. I, I I'm not sure I want to do that to Lafferty. You think Mitch Marner would want to play center? Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Because it's hard. Why wouldn't Elander want to play center? I'd rather have him. I'd rather give him the responsibility of being in his own zone mm-hmm. down low instead of that. Uh, you know, on occasion, blowing the zone look. I, there is no world in which William Nylander wants to play center over Wayne. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're like, zero we're going to give you, you've too, always too wanted much your responsibility. Center again. Like, zero, yeah. but buddy, playing center, playing wing, it's two different sports. Oh, thanks, Tips. It's yeah. two different sports. <laughs> and you're going to ask the guy who flies the zone the most on the team to play center? Like, no chance. Yeah. Come on. Marner, I, this has been something that you've talked about since week one of Real Kipper and Board. That Marner, and it's something that's always piqued my interest. I just think he might, like... He's the team's best playmaker. I just, I think it's a very interesting view, and I don't necessarily know if I agree or disagree with you, Kipper, that your center has to be the playmaker, but naturally, that's where the puck starts, and you want it distributed out wide, right? So, like, in theory, the center should be a playmaker, but I don't know if it needs to be. Can he win a draw at the NHL level? When's the last time he took a draw? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, uh, he's yeah. going in there against NHL guys. It's his first. Well, you get better when you practice it. For sure, but he hasn't been. Like, you can't just stick him in there. Getting cleaned out in the draw? Like, I don't know. I guess my two thoughts are I don't, we don't agree on the idea that the center's got to be a distributor. You look at the top 10 and assists in the league, and it's guys like. Kucherov and Marner and uh, Panarin and Nugent Hopkins. Like, it's there's a lot of wingers in there. But my other thought is just that, you know, Mitch is so good at 
being in the right place, evading traffic. Like, I don't ever remember him getting hit. Like, Mitch Marner, like, the same way that Patrick Kane never gets hit. I can only I don't, remember I, him getting hit once, and it was Columbus, and he got hurt. And shoulder yeah, injury. Shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that's I, the only I'm, time I ever I'm remember not it. as... You know, I just can't draw up instances of watching him in the D zone, like in a pile, you know, pushing a guy in a pile, playing center down low in that aspect of the position. You know, whereas Willie, I don't want him doing it either, but at least he's a big body. You know, it's a different D zone thought is all. I, yeah, it, I'm, uh, I'd love to see it one time. I, I am very curious to see Sheldon's second line here of Lafferty, Yarncroft, and, and Nylander. And, if things don't get off to a, a great start, mm-hmm. how long will it take them to get the bingle bangle balls out? We'll see Kerfoot playing. There's just out. no, yeah, I was going to say, like, you look at this group, and they, I don't think they seriously consider Marner an option, even if it is the right call. I don't think they think it is. And so just looking at the lineup, like, who's, how do you, you don't have anyone in <laughs> the it's, second line. You know, it's like, who you know else that, goes there? You know that meme with, like, where the guy slaps something on the water? When it's it, just fixed it, yeah. The, it's like, Kerfoot. Yeah. It's just Kerfoot's that for Keefe. He just puts them wherever. It's like, well, we need a second line center, Kerfoot. Yeah. Top like, line winger, Kerfoot. Like you and could it, put Bunting yes, up with Willie. Shield. Like Bunting could get up there as a winger. And then, I don't know, Achari. I'm, I'm looking at the left side tonight. Kerfoot, Yarncroft, Aston Reese, and Bunting. And I'm thinking, uh, did the league expand? That's a left side on an expansion <laughs> oh <my> team. <laughs> Did, did uh, is, is Atlanta in the league again? Oh my God, they're gonna be. Are you okay? Uh, I'm fine. I think that's a little harsh. We'll go to Lots on that. <laughs> we will go to Brian Lott, and we haven't had Lots on in a while. Former NHL player, agent, general manager, NHL Network analyst. He's done it all. We'll get his thoughts on the Leafs' left side, their centerman, and their chances against New Jersey tonight with no Ryan O'Reilly or John Tavares. You are watching and listening on our YouTube channel on the Fan 590, Real Kipper and Born. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Real Kipper and Board on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Just waiting on Brian Lawton to join us momentarily. Uh, did you hear the last commercial bef- uh, in our break was uh, Tim Hortons? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> roll up the rim, mm-hmm. they said. Mm-hmm. But they changed it this year. Did they? To roll up the mobile rim. Okay, so a couple things. We love Tim Hortons. Excellent I'm not spot. happy Excellent right spo- now. Excellent sponsor. Uh, we support yes. everything they've done. Yes. And also, that's been doing that's like five years of that now, Kip. Serious? Yeah, it's been at least, oh, maybe not five, but at least four. At least This four. isn't the first year that no. it's on mobile? No, it's not. Just get the app. I've been rolling it up thinking I've lost for the last three years. There's nothing under here again. I've done I did it uh, I did it two days ago and he's like, What are you doing? I'm like, I didn't win. It's blank. He goes, No, no, it's it's on your mobile. I'm like, What? Yeah. Anyways, uh lots uh, lots is there. That's very funny. We have lots. Such a loser. Okay. Lots, you don't have this problem in the States, do you? Roll up the rim. We do not. It sounds like a cheery day in Toronto with you fellas. That's great to hear. How are you, pal? 
Doing great. Thanks. Doing great. A ton we want to get into, but I, I have not actually spoken to you uh, since the trade deadline. And, you know, prior to that, I think I wrote one in my article that they needed to to loosen up a few things so we can get some more action in the NHL trade deadline. And lo and behold, it was one for the ages that we've seen. One of the rare ones since the salary cap where we saw more hockey trades than we did rentals. And I'm just wondering, lots from your point of view, is that a trend that's coming and moving forward or was that just a one-off in 2023? Hard to tell right now. Um, but it wasn't that hard to tell, Kipper. We've done some interviews and talked about it. It was always going to be a buyer's market this year. And there were a number of different reasons why. I didn't see a lot of people talking about them, but certainly uh, the slowing salary cap, that whole crunch caused a little bit of influence. The Connor Bedard effect, that caused some teams to rethink their position. And just the reality that there were some really good programs, organizations that have done well for a long time, they're kind of betwixt right now. And you knew they were thinking about going all in on selling. And even though we use the word retool, it's really closer to rebuild. You add all that together. Add Detroit and Nashville in at the kind of the 11th hour, and all of a sudden uh, it was a heck of a market for a lot of buyers. With that said, I was really impressed with the job some teams did selling. They were able to feel the momentum of the trade deadline because it's not all favored one way or another. It's like a hockey game, and you know, uh, even you, you can pick out deals and say, wow, that was really fortuitous. Uh, something maybe like Marcus Johansson goes for a third rounder by Washington. That was good timing because there was a lot of supply out there for guys kind of like him. Uh, Oscar Sundquist, you know, goes the next day and uh, goes for a lot less. A guy that's probably more capable right now. So when you really go through it, John Klingberg, you know, pretty good player, John Klingberg, just wrong timing. And you get stuck with him, and you get a fourth rounder in return for eating half the, seven, half the salary on a $7 million number. It was a super interesting uh, trade deadline, you know, in my opinion, Kipper. I think you're dead on. I just don't know if it's going to continue next year. I think it's going to be like this year where you got to try to read the tea leaves ahead of time and make some bets. One team who's had success there, I would say the most success there in past years, uh, made another big move. That's Tampa Bay. They had Tanner Janot for 368 picks, but whatever, they got Tanner Janot. Um, <laughs> what, what is going on with that team, though? You know, they, they know they, they're locked into the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one, but I looked at, you know, records since February 1st today. They're 25th in the NHL since then, obviously on quite a skid right now. What do you, is this just they know what the, who they're facing in playoffs and can turn it on, or is it something bigger with them? I don't think anybody knows right now, to be honest with you. They obviously have played a lot of hockey. They do have some injuries. It was announced that Hedman won't be in the lineup, obviously, uh, this evening. So, you know, some guys have been dragging. They've got a tried-and-true team that's proven, battle-tested. But they certainly look like they're off right now, and they've lost their edge. Will they get it back? As you just said, yes, I think they are probably the strongest organization in recognizing that 
it's all about the playoffs. They've had a good year, but not a great year. They're really struggling now. But uh, I feel like they'll get it back and they'll be rolling come playoff time. But maybe not. Maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, will catch a huge break. I know that would be welcomed there in Toronto if they're not on top of their game going into the playoffs. Usually one coach, if he wants to make a statement, he benches one star, not three. What were your thoughts on that? Uh, My thoughts on that, and this is generally the way it is around the National Hockey League, is you know, by the time the public or the media figures things out, the coach is way ahead of that. And I took that as a sign that things aren't quite right there in Tampa. I didn't take it as a one-off, even though that's how it was presented to the public. I took it as uh, John Cooper recognizes, you know, we've got some issues here about how we're approaching the nightly uh, job that we all have. And that's different for Tampa because they've been a model of professionalism for the last number of years, more so than anybody else in this league. But I took that as him uh, definitely recognizing that he didn't like where things are at and it's not necessarily a one-off. Yeah, they certainly don't lack guys with heart. So you'd expect them to show up and turn things around in fairly short order. I mean, all the teams at the top of the East right now, you expect great things from, right? I mean, you had six teams there who are, you know, maybe the six best teams in the league. Who do you think made the biggest strides at the deadline? Is the, the addition of Timo Meyer the biggest one? I know the Rangers added a couple. Who, who, who took the biggest strides in terms of getting better at the deadline? Well, I do think so far, I mean, one of the more stable teams, which is, you know, not something fans are accustomed to hearing has been New Jersey mm-hmm. and adding Timo Meyer, I thought was a huge move. Uh, I keep waiting for that team to come back to earth and I have seen no signs of that. Uh, they had a little bit of a momentum let down, I guess I could say a while ago, but for the most part, uh, they look rock solid. The Rangers on the other hand, I don't think they've got everything quite worked out yet with the moves they've made. They haven't quite figured out how to integrate Kane and Tarasenko to the best or the or the best possible lineup they can put out there. So that's a work in progress, but they've still got time. Um, Boston uh, absolutely blew me away with the Orloff trade. Everybody's seen what he's been able to do. He looks like a different hockey player. Uh, I guess I thought all along in typical Boston fashion that not only were they picking up uh, maybe a little bit of an undervalued player, but also a guy that they would be able to re-sign right away. We haven't seen that, but uh, stay tuned, because if that happened, that would be a, a grand slam for them. I think it's problematic with the term all Earth wants and his age, but uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I thought Boston uh, was incredible, not only in adding him, but reacting so quickly to some injuries, getting Bertuzzi. Uh, I thought they did a really, really nice job. You know, lots uh what took the trade deadline to another level is just exactly what you said, but it wasn't Boston. It was uh, Brian McClellan's uh, decision in Washington to unload. To me, trade deadline went to another level on a name that we never heard all year long, and that's Orlov. And, I mean, we we, we knew Orlov was a solid guy, but I, I don't know. He just presents, like, such... I don't know, more impactful or uh, I, 
Have we seen more out of Boston than we ever felt in Washington for him on how impactful he is? Um, Chikrin's another one. I don't think anyone ever uh, doubts his, his talent or his ability to play 22, 24 minutes a night. It's just a matter of staying healthy. And then there's Kyle Dubas, who went a little bit more conservative with uh, Jake McCabe. Uh, but, you know, the, 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 the need for a, a bona fide, a guy that can look the part of a number one or number two defenseman is, is huge come trade deadline time. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's funny. There's narratives out there about guys. In Orloff's case, the kind of NHL narrative was, look, he's a really good player. Thought maybe he was going to be able to contribute more offensively. Uh, he was making strides at one point. Then it kind of died off in Washington. He goes to Boston, and, you know, he looks like he's a number one. I had him rated as a as a number three D on a good team because of his past history, winning a cup, being able to stand up to that test. Um, but there's a lot of other guys that uh, even guys like Provorov that I would have had, I did have rated ahead of him. And I'm not so sure that's the case. I'm not so sure we maybe do as great a job as we should grading, you know, where one organization is at cyclically in terms of being good versus another Philly's trying to refine themselves. Maybe that's hurting Provorov. Uh, Boston, on the other hand, is clearly on top of their game. They get Orloff in. He puts up nine points in like six games, and everybody's like, where did that come from? That's just part of the variance that, you know, these guys are tasked with trying to make moves off of. But uh, in Donnie Sweeney's case, uh, last year with Lindholm, this year with Orloff, being able to pivot so quickly, he's looked brilliant. Um, you know, there was a lot of brilliant people, I thought, this year at the deadline, and that's great to see. I thought Billy Garrett did a brilliant job in Minnesota just adding, you know, undervalued guys from Klingberg to Johansson to Sunquist. You know, uh, that feeds into the way they play, and uh, that may pay huge dividends for them down the stretch here. I mean, don't look now, but they're knocking on the door of taking over Dallas for first in the Pacific, and we haven't talked about them that much this year. So uh, lots of things to love about this deadline. There really were. Yeah, and, and one of them was a, I don't know, biggest deal at the deadline that people are like, yeah, okay, and it's Kane to the Rangers, right? Like it kind of, he picked his team, the return wasn't insane. I, I don't know, it just feels like an under-discussed thing. Do you think that Kane makes them better? I mean, significantly better? What are your thoughts on the addition of Kane? I think in some ways that the Rangers may have taken a step back and that'll disappoint and surprise a lot of people. But the reason I say that is the evolution of the Rangers was coming out of that phase when you're acquiring talent and you start to look like an all-star team, but you don't really look and Kipper can appreciate this having been one of those guys that really helped to turn a good group of players into a good team. Someone that's willing to sacrifice maybe play a different role than someone else, maybe play a lesser role. All of a sudden, I feel like the Rangers took a little step back to that, which is what I thought helped propel them out of that stage was getting some more guys to fit into roles, having people uh, be willing to sacrifice. And uh, that was the big change I thought Chris Drury made taking over after Jeff Gordon. But uh, this has been perplexing. Uh, there's still lots of time for the Rangers to figure it out. 
but it certainly hasn't meshed right off the bat by any stretch of the imagination for them with either one of those two guys who are both really good players, but sometimes in the National Hockey League, as Vegas and even Seattle has proven this year, the team with the most star players doesn't always beat the team that maybe just has a bunch of really good players but doesn't have as many weaknesses. So I'm watching that whole trend very, very closely. I'm going to ask this next question and and lean on your uh, expertise as a NHL executive. Was Chris Drury bullied into trading for Pat Kane? Was it, for me, it makes no sense whatsoever to go get Tarasenko first and Pat Kane second, unless you thought all along that you weren't going to get Pat Kane and, uh, and then you commit to Tarasenko, and and then all of a sudden Pat Kane says, "I only want to go to play in New York." And you're like, "Well, am I going to be the idiot to go against the New York fans on one of the most electrifying player in the last decade?" Yeah, I, I think that's one that um, definitely was tough on the Rangers. You know, the the attitude from the Blackhawks was was very clearly, you know, Patrick could pick his place, uh, which is fine. A player's you know, earned that by not necessarily what he's done, just the club gave him a no-move clause. And when that happens, then, you know, somebody has to agree to it. The Blackhawks agreed to that. The way it was handled this year in the market is uh, it should have been handled quicker. And at some point, you have to go to a guy and say, look, if he wants to make a move, we need to know ahead of time. I feel like that one dragged on past the point of no return. Uh, you guys have heard me say in the past, I just think you got to go to players and say, look, if you want to be traded, we're interested in trading you. Don't really like the concept of just trading you to one team because you're pretty much embarrassing us. And personally, I probably would just rather if you stayed. But if you want to go, give me at least a couple of teams and let me know early enough so I can make a deal. I didn't feel like that really happened there. And I think I, that hurt the process for Chicago. And in the end, I think it hurt Chris Drury because he clearly was not sure, went out and got Tarasenko, and then realized, oh, my gosh, Patrick Kane wants to come here. It's not going to cost much. I just have to do some cap gymnastics to get him on board, which they were able to do. But there were some hiccups along the way. The, the, there's not a chance if, well. if, if Chris Drury gets Pat Kane first, there's not a chance that he goes after Tarasenko. No, that's my point, Kipper, is that unfortunately the the things that were out of his control, uh, it it just took longer than uh, would have been beneficial for the Rangers and I think would have been beneficial for the Blackhawks also. Lots. uh, You're the perfect guy to ask this question to because uh, I'm going to ask you about the Vancouver Canucks because there's a lot of moving parts at play there. There's what the players want. There's what agents are trying to do for their players. There's what GMs and presidents and all that stuff are trying to make happen. What are your thoughts on essentially, I I think one of the biggest tire fire seasons, unfortunately, that I can remember in terms of just decision making, managing, you know, blow ups. It's been fairly bad. What are your thoughts on their deadline? What happened in the position they're currently in? Um, well, obviously, they, they really kind of started things off with Bo Horvat. I think that shook everybody awake because, you know, as Nick Kiprios is writing stories about nothing's going to happen, 
they stepped up out in front, Kipper, and made a big move. And I'm being facetious, but that kind of woke everybody up. Should we be surprised by that particular big move? Do, do you think GMs are going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that? I don't think so because the DNA of Jimmy Rutherford is it's kind of his thing. He likes to get his business done early. Everybody knows that. Lou Lamarillo, another guy that doesn't say much, but Lou does an incredible job. And Lou identifies who he wants, and he goes out and gets them. So I wasn't necessarily shocked, but I do felt like that woke up the market a little bit. In terms of Vancouver from there, just I understand what you're saying. It's just tough to read what direction they're going in. You'd have to ask them. Um, do I think that was the right direction for them to go in where they're kind of buying, kind of selling? No, I don't. I, I don't believe that. Um, I think they could have been a little harder. You just There's things that go on, fellas, that the fans never hear about. You don't know what the ownership's position is. You don't know what other influences Jimmy Rutherford and Patrick Alvin are working with. And I'll, I'll cut those guys some slack on that. But on the surface, did it look like that made sense? What went on there? It did not to me, no. When you were running the Tampa Bay Lightning and all of a sudden you realize in the best interest of the team, we should trade Vinny LeCavalier. When you're going through a okay. process, uh, much like Jimmy Rutherford went through with Bo Horvat and others with star players, is there a constant for executives in that position to constantly worry about the effect this will have or what the players are thinking? And I wonder now, even uh, in Orlov's case in Washington, while Brian McClellan's working on a trade with Boston, is he, is he wondering how OV is feeling on this or would that conversation have happened uh, a long time ago before making the decision to trade Orlov? I, I have not asked Mac this. My suspicion is he would have been in pretty close contact. He's very conscientious about where his players are at. We were conscientious in Tampa about where our players were at. I think most of the general managers in this league are. You just you want to have a pulse of what's going on. You want to have a pulse of what's going on in your room. You want to have a pulse on you know, how players are feeling, what their outlook is. Does it always matter or is it the most important thing when it's all said and done no GMs have to make really tough decisions that are best for the organization for us in Tampa I felt it was best because of Vinny's contract more than anything because of you know we were rebuilding not retooling and it didn't fit and I felt like it would have fit for at least one other club which was the case Um, what I mismanaged was that I was reporting to one owner and essentially in that particular case got rejected and found out that I needed approval from two owners to do things. So uh, that was on me. It it didn't work out. Um, I felt like that was best for the team. And, uh, you know, that's the end of it. You just move on. So that was, that was uh, Carey Price to Tampa Bay and, uh, what was the trade again? 
Oh, there was a bunch of very good players that <laughs> potentially would have been involved. It's already a sore subject for me. Okay, Val, I won't take you down that path. <laughs> but but I am curious about the idea of dealing with ownership. When we have Doug McLean on, he talks about dealing with his owners, and that's the story out of Vancouver. Everyone you know mentions that the ownership there has had some say in it. You know, is that maybe an under underlooked angle from the media or for fans and really how decisions get made with their roster? Yes, it absolutely is. Look, yeah. uh, my job was super easy up until that point, but I had one person that I was working very closely with in the ownership group, and I had the easiest job in the world. I, I talked to them every single day about what we're doing and why, I would outline what the risks are and the rewards. And there was never any really new information that was coming up other than this constant flow of what's going on. And that worked beautifully. Uh, That isn't always the case. Not everybody manages that way. I'm very communicative. That's the way I am. I also felt it was in the best interest of the organization to operate that way. If you're doing that with your owner, then your strategy is easy to execute on. If you're not, and they're finding out late, then that's problematic. And I, I don't know what the case is in Vancouver. I do know Francesco Aquiline. I think he's a, a terrific guy. I think he's a very easy guy to communicate with, but I can't speak to any more than that. I, I don't know what's going on there. I really don't. I just know that, uh, you know, he, he's a pretty good guy to work for. Uh, communication is paramount to him. All right, one quick one because we've already uh, gone over our time limit with you, and we really appreciate it. But in the East, Buffalo, Ottawa, Florida, Pitt, Islanders, who who makes it, who doesn't? Well, notwithstanding last night, I'm feeling very good about Ottawa. I, I think their team's really coming together. I think uh, their patience paid off, you know, in the Chikorin trade. I, I feel like that one, you know, really fell into their lap at the 11th hour, and they jumped on it, and they did an excellent job. And if you do the due diligence on that, there weren't a lot of options left at that time. So it, it worked out really good for Ottawa. It still worked out good for Arizona, but I think everybody was universally a little bit underwhelmed with the return. Um, so that's been a big key move for them. I like Ottawa. Um, I still like Pittsburgh. I still like Pittsburgh. I, I believe that the, those two teams are the two that will be left standing when it's all said and done. It's no disrespect to the Islanders. I think they've played very well. Um, you know, Detroit and Washington, because of the reasons that you guys were just laying, you know, are the, are the players aware of what's going on? Yes, they are. Does it mean that? That prohibits them from rising up and making the playoffs. No, it doesn't. But it's a pretty tough headwind to overcome. Lots great catching up with you. Really appreciate your time, okay? Anytime, guys. Thanks, Lots. Appreciate it. Brian Lawton, former NHL player, agent, general manager, blah, blah, blah. He's done it all. Yeah, yeah. Check those boxes. You okay that you didn't have your Islanders in? Yeah. You know, I'm having a tough time, um, you know, finding a spot for them in there. They don't score enough goals. They're injured. Um, you know, I, would, I I think they have enough guys. If they get in, they'd be a tough out, the toughest out of all those teams in that pile. But got to get in. That's, that's going to be a challenge for them, for sure. Speaking of the Washington Capitals, 
Yes. We remember Rasmus Sandin. Remember that guy? Who? <laughs> Apparently not. Rasmus Sandin? Rasmus. Yes, I Sandin. remember him. Yes. Blonde. Uh, Swedish. Sometimes looks really good, and then sometimes could, like, you could need to draw arrows on the ice so he can Mid. follow them. <laughs> That's such a great draw. It is. Five points for Rasmus. Mm-hmm. He played over 25 minutes last night. That's yeah. really good context for Gustafson playing 22 minutes a night there. <laughs> you know, like Sandine goes there and becomes a 25-minute-a-night guy. So I'd be lying if I said I didn't put this in, a re- in the lineup for a reason to talk about it because I've been getting more blowback amongst Leafs Nation to this from one more on one side of Leafs Nation, I would say, in terms of people being upset about the Sandine trade which I thought was an excellent trade to get mm-hmm. a first-round pick and get a guy that's going to contribute. Like, I thought that was a really good trade by Dubas. Good, good trade for both sides, actually. Yeah. But people are pushing back pretty hard. I'm getting some messages from a couple of my buddies bubbling okay, up about... Saying that... It, it was a bad wa- trade. Ask him if they will wa- watch those Washington that's, games. Sending is way better than you're giving him credit for. Yeah, a lot of that. And, and a lot of people are upset that they traded, traded him. And I would say if there was all... Of all the moves that they made, people are, are right. bristled at that. Here's... Here's the situation on that trade and I want for to, them. And I want to be on yes. the, put my perspective. Okay. I love the trade, and I will never miss him for one second. Right. But, Bye, Felicia. But that's not a universally thought. No. A lot of people are kind of, it's, it's bubbling up a bit. I think it hurt people that they didn't turn that first into another player. But here's The thing with Sandine is that he's going to be a better player than Gustafson is today. Like, I, I think he's a more useful everyday guy in the NHL. Gustafson is a better power play guy than Sandine is today and maybe ever will be. Gustafson is a legitimate power play quarterback. It's about the only skill he has at the NHL level. But given the Leafs failings, you can live with having a guy who doesn't play. But if he gets in, he could fix the power play or at least run a power play with some success. A first overall pick for Sandine to me was a first, a f- first round. Sorry, first round. Yeah. The first, I would say, a week prior to that, Kipper and I had a conversation about him and said he was worth like what Dermot would be worth, like, like a, a third, third. Yeah. or something like that. So it's it helps them with a great pick. You get a guy who can do something unique for your team that Sandine didn't, and there was no room in the lineup for the guy. And can I point out that they won 8-3 against the Sharks in his debut again with, uh, I think, Capo Kakinen. He's a goalie, right? Them. Their goalie had an 880 yes. save percentage, yeah. and he was on the ice for two of the three goals against an 8-3 win. And then last night, he had two points, and he was on the ice of two of the four goals, and they lost. So, yeah, listen, nobody's going to judge. No, no one's going to make a judgment that this guy's going to turn himself into a Norris Trophy candidate because people are so excited to make the yeah. like, jump. This is why the post-trade deadline week is a nuclear time for takes. It is. It is a nuclear take week yeah. where everyone just feels immediately, the Norris trophy. immediately validated or immediately like pissed off or they just want to be like, I love that guy and he's had two seemingly good games that I have not watched one second of. Therefore, I am smart. You are dumb. And well, listen, well assessed. And I said that they wanted them to trade for Orlov before they did it. So I'm not, I'm not playing the results on that one. He's still got a window and he's still young enough at 23, I guess, where there is some potential for some growth. I'm not sure how much smarter he's going to get. Mm-hmm. Or 
how more uh where was the ceiling on him still washington traded him like there's a, a very high ceiling yeah I, I don't care if it's san jose or boston uh you play 25 minutes a night in the nhl it's a yeah, it's a big deal for sure it's a big deal right yeah. you, you gotta have a coach Wanting to put you in that position. And there you go on Eric but, Gustafson then. He's playing 22 minutes a night. Well, and We're listen, calling it a big deal than it is. I'm sure, and we talked about this pre-show, but they're having a tough year now in, in Washington. They're not very good, Washington. Dude, they're awful. Since so, February 1st, they're bottom three and like... So I think, I think if you are the general manager of the Washington Capitals, you're probably walking down to the coach and be like, hey... Let's see what that new toy does. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point let's, too. Let's put them in. Let's put yeah. them in some minutes here. Just to touch base on on what you're saying about a power play. Mm-hmm. The only way we're gonna really know if if your words come true mm-hmm. is that you're gonna have to give him starting power play minutes. And I'm not. He he will not. He will not like put a dent in anything playing the last 30 seconds off of Morgan Riley's uh, buck 30, buck 40. Mm-hmm. If, in fact, he's as good as you say he is on the power play, then at some point, Sheldon's going to have to come off a commercial break or, you know, any scenario where he is the first D over the boards. Mm-hmm. Is that going to happen soon? tough right like we've been we've talked about morgan riley all year and kind of an underwhelming season they don't seem quick to want to give him any sort of step back they wrote him on the third pair today instead of writing lilligren up with him which is the most oh come on you know thing ever but yeah no i think it's a situation kip where it's like it's game four they're 0 for 12 on the power play and now you're out of desperation going to a guy yeah and that's that's not building something here. It's not building something long-term, but I think about like backup goalies that have got their starters through injuries in the playoffs where you say, get us through this round so we can get back to our guy and get right. There are plenty of instances of that, whether it's Grubauer for Holtby or Flurry for Murray, whoever. Get us through. Cut, darling. <laughs> yeah, get us through a, a round, and if Gustafson can give them something better than Morgan, I don't think it's going to happen either necessarily but at least you have something to go to whereas sandine had a pretty sizable run during the regular season running power play one two years ago and it didn't look any better uh, it looked worse a few years ago against montreal if i'm not mistaken they sat morgan they shut morgan down against columbus and they turned sandine into a power play star for them well, they didn't Columbus. turn him well, into a star. They, they put they him just, on the power play. They, yeah. <laughs> they treated him like a star. Yeah, it stunk. Uh, but that was the desperation where you, you go. We just need someone. Maybe uh, this guy can do it. And so, know. like, I mean, just if you want to judge Trey, yeah, it's like, oh, chick dash two, and they lost to Chicago. What a horrible trade! Yeah, it's like this is such a time for people to. Anyways. It really is. And the worst take I'm out there bent might be that that Dubis didn't protect this group. With, you know, they lost their two two of their best five forwards. Every team looks significantly worse the next roster you roll out minus two yeah. of your top five forwards. Like, when this, when game one starts, health, of course, the four lines are going to look good. It's going to look like a good hockey team. Yeah. And the 
the playoffs start, it all wipes away, and including Tampa's poopy stretch right now, which is not going to matter in April. It's not going to matter. They're going to be. You think Tampa's not going to be ready to go? I do think Tampa will be ready to go. That's what I mean. But That's I just, just fool's goal right now oh, yeah. if you want to just think about writing I can them already off. hear us. Do you remember in, in March when Tampa was whatever? And, and, and then, you know, condescending Cooper, condescended the Leafs out of the first round again. <laughs> after he condescended his own well, players. Well, let the record show when that happens that we never for a second said Tampa stinks. I haven't bought this for a second. Yeah, but... You know, you are looking for cracks in the armor. I, re- certainly I am to. really excited, though, for the least first-round matchup because it's awesome for our show because we get to play Coop. just as much Cooper as we do. <laughs> yeah, Keith. yeah, I and like that, reading between the lines with this guy, Coop too. blows up the Leafs in half foe. Like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. is there a better team than this oh, Leafs team? Oh, it's his favorite thing. Yeah, oh, that was like, just, <laughs> what, a fat, what a dynamic group That they was are. like Marshawn talking about Marner. Marner's my favorite player. Oh, he's player. the best. He's my favorite player. I tell player. him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's like, see? It's like, yeah. it's like uh, going to the beach and uh, laying a trail of popcorn for the Seagulls. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. Yeah, you no, think Leaf fans are, are feeling a little better that uh, Ottawa shows that they can go into That's a ugly. really bad team last night and lose 5 nothing. That's ugly. You know what, that though? Hurts. That's a reminder to Sens fans or to fans who haven't been rooting for a good team that it's hard to keep doing it every night. And even against bad teams, good teams, bad teams, you got to do it every Boston season's so incredible because they beat everyone. You know, they're a rare, rare team. But, you know, this Leafs team, they're the fourth best team in the NHL by points percentage. They've lost to the bottom teams a dozen times. The thing that amazes me the most is that their goaltending does not take a night off. Like, come on, just stink one night. Saving it for postseason, Kip. When the Islanders just roll one over night, in six. Look, you know, look like you can't stop a beach ball. Yeah. Just be a sieve one time. Be no, a sieve. Hey, Allmark didn't just suddenly turn into. No, he did. Vasilevsky. He did. No, he did. He you, did. It, you guys are buying it? This is it? No, Allmark is Vasilevsky? No, I'm not buying it, but he 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 has turned himself yes. into Vasilevsky this season. He has 100%. Okay. He's better you can't than say that he hasn't. Right. He's been way better than Vasilevsky. No, I don't know I, what tomorrow brings. I can say that I don't think he is suddenly. You know, the league's best goalie. He, you know, like I think there's... No, he... he how, how can you say he's not the league's best goalie? Who is? I think Vasilevsky is. Not this season. Okay. You know, Austin, great. That, but, I mean, well, I, know what I you're think saying. you're intentionally Kipper, misunderstanding Kipper, me. Play, playoffs start tomorrow. You have a choice. Vasilevsky, Olmark. You're going with Olmark? You can have Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Austin Matthews. Nugent has more points than Matthews. <laughs> Who do you want right, for your franchise? Is it, is it right now coming off his last two weeks? I'll take Allmark. No, you're nuts. You're, well, then I want yeah, you to yeah, answer. Not. Do you want Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Austin Matthews? No, in no, we don't want that. No, End I want that show. answer. <laughs> no. Listen, I'm not writing off Vasilevsky. I'm just saying that uh, he's got some time to straighten his game out. I'll, and they do need time to straighten things out. There's no light switch. Yeah. That you're going to get Vasilevsky in his game seven mode coming off some bad losses. There's just no, there's no guarantees. Yeah. But I'm just saying that for, for at least this season up until now, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. don't know what tomorrow brings, but Omerk has been the most impressive goalie in the National Hockey League. That isn't a true no question. No doubt. No, it's but been... I'm still, if I have to win a cup and I'm choosing a goalie, 
I am absolutely taking Vasilevsky. Good news. Times you get to beat both. Yay! <laughs> just, and there's no signs. No. Like, there's, there's always some signs. Yeah. yeah, we were like, boy, I don't know. I don't trust how but he looked on that. And no, just, just it's so scary good how good he through. is. And then Swayman. Ah. Anchorage, Alaska's own. You don't like Swayman? I, I mean, whatever. No, I like Swayman. He's fine. I think he's good. He's fine. <laughs> He's fine. You'd love him here right now, and he would be so far the number one goalie here in Toronto. Nah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I'm talking a super fan. <laughs> yeah. They only have four shutouts, though. That's a little surprising. Is that right? Yeah. Is Ilya Sorokin only get shut, shutouts for the Islanders? All right. Uh, like I said off the top of the show, I don't think the Leafs have to win tonight, but I want them to be in the game the whole the whole night. Just, yep. just stay in the game. Samsonov, keep him in the game. Stay in the game. Surprisingly good showing from the Leafs tonight. Sammy, Here it comes. What do you think? Blowout? 5 1 Devils, yeah. That bad, eh? Yeah, I'm going to get spanked tonight. Love it. You? Oh, I got the Leafs tonight. 3 2. Oh, you do? Yeah. Uh, I'll take Jersey in overtime. All right. Thanks, Brian Lawton, Mike Kelly, and Tom Fitzgerald.